August 13th, 2010, Frankel wins for the first time at Newmarket, beginning an incredible run of 14 wins. All great streaks start somewhere, so start your own with Betfair's free bet streak. Simply bet £20 on the Betfair exchange and get a £5 free bet. With each free bet you win, you'll get another. It's that simple. Free bet streak from Betfair. Weekly opt-in, back on exchange bets, placed Monday to Sunday. Minimum odds to £1.55 free bet awarded at Bet Settlement. Valid for 72 hours, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. The final furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by attheraces.com your ultimate resource for finding winners. What a weekend to look forward to on the final Furlong podcast. Eight group ones, including Irish Champions Weekend, the St. Ledger meeting from Doncaster, which is live on Sky Sports Racing, along with Grand Prix de Paris and the ARC Trials from Paris Longchamp. It's going to be a brilliant weekend, and I'm joined by two of the very best to preview it. From RTE Racing, Jane Mangan, and from At The Races, Rory DeLarge. We'll begin with the St. Ledger itself, the Pretemps St. Ledger, group one, where Piledriver currently heads the betting on Betfair at 3.75, along with Irish Derby and Royal Ascot winner for Aidan O'Brien, Santiago. Uh, Hookham for Owen Burrows and Jim Crowley, 4.5. Galileo Chrome is confirmed. The big gamble, 20s into 6.5 now on the Betfair exchange for Shane Cross and Joseph O'Brien. English King, who Ed Walker today told Sean Boyce on Sky Sports Racing, we still believe he's the best three-year-old. In fact... I'll go further. Best three-year-old, one-mile four-horse in Europe. Love called. She wants a word, Ed Walker. Uh, subjectivist for Mark Johnston and Joe Fanning, 15.0, and Aidan O'Brien also sends Dawn Patrol. Jane, what are your thoughts on the St. Ledger? The, the money for Galileo Chrome is really interesting because on everything we've seen today, it doesn't add up. Uh, his win at Navin was good, but Emperor of the Sun, I don't think, would be cited in a group one. Mm. Um, so obviously he's giving all the right vibes at home, but surely Santiago with his group one form deserves to be to be favoured for this. Pile driver was very good in the vulture, but like Barr himself, all the rest were on top of each other. I, I just thought he had probably more pace than the rest of the in, in the in the vulture. Uh, he's a very likeable horse, but Santiago's the derby winner. Santiago is the horse that blitzed the field on heavy ground at, at Royal Ascot. For me, he's the best form and deserves to be the market leader. Guaranteed stare. He got close. I know he was getting weight, but close when they're saying it went badly wrong tactically against the king of this division, Stradivarius. He's clearly the most likely winner in my mind, and I'm very, very concerned about Paul Driver's ability to fully stay the mile six. So James with Santiago, so am I. Rory, for you? I'm with Galileo Chrome. I, I think it's his, um, uh, his claims on paper are, um, are stronger than, um, than they look at, at first glance. Yes, he hasn't run in, um, hasn't run in group company, but um, I, was, I was very impressed with him, and it was only a conditions race. Uh, the Leopardstown members race he ran in, in July, uh, over a mile and a quarter. Uh, and again, uh, when he won in Lister Company last time out, yes, the horses he was beating uh, on those two occasions are, are um, lesser animals than some of the others in this race have come up against. But what really impressed me with him, A, he's peaking at the right time. This is my worry with Santiago. Santiago was one of those horses who, um, you, you know, he, he wasn't at a disadvantage by the season starting in June. He came to a peak very early. Um, you know, Aidan O'Brien wouldn't have held him in the same kind of regard as he held Mogul, um, but Mogul's always been a very difficult horse to, to get fit. Uh, and, um, and Santiago obviously came to himself, was, was impressive at Royal Ascot. Um, 
and then you know the, the Irish Derby he won in fairness it, it was one of the weakest renewals you'll you remember of that not to slag him off for that but you know he was he was ready at the time we know he stays but the question with him is whether he's improving again in the autumn and I think you, you want a horse in the ledger that's that's really hitting the straps at that time um, and having watched Galileo Chrome back um, obviously he wouldn't have been considered for a race like this a few months ago he's come a long way in a short space of time uh, the time figure he put up on winning over a mile and a quarter at Leper's time was very very good for the um, exceptional for the great natural fight um, and again he put up a smart time last time out but what I really liked about him uh, and I'd normally be wary about a horse with his his background going into a race like this he just looks like he can gallop all day you know obviously he's only gone a mile and five um, and I could I could pick up a couple here who'd be strongly fancied in, in Hookham and Piledriver um, and worry about their stamina and obviously he's got his own stamina to prove stepping up the best part of two furlongs and trip but everything about him suggests that he will just relish an extra couple of furlongs and I'm not sure that's the case with, with the other two not to, again not to knock them at all I just think Galileo Chrome looks like a horse who doesn't quicken he lengthens um, and he will just keep galloping I really like him as an individual um, whether you missed the boat price-wise now, I don't know. But I looked through the race, and although I think there's an awful lot of quality, and I think it's a really interesting contest, um, I think they should have gone to France with Pilot Driver. Agreed. Um, and the irony of that is that his dam, who was um, a moderate herder, the, 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 his owners bought La Pile with the view to her winning a couple of novice hurdles and then becoming a broodmare and being able to sell the stock on for good money. Um, and she's she's very well related. She's a uh, a full sister um, to a, a group winner over a mile in Ireland um, a few seasons ago, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, and also a half sister to a winner of the Grand Prix de Paris. Um, and that's uh, everything I've seen about Pile Driver suggests that he's got an awful lot of class. He's got great acceleration to give weight away in the Great Voltageur and win the way he did. He didn't like to say his rivals there. I know William Muir is now saying he wasn't stopping at the end. And mm. do you think anything would have got to him in two furlongs? That's not really how it works. Exactly. Fundamentally. And the first thing he said after that race was, this is not just a stare. You know, we'll have to look at this in ledger, but he's in the Grand Prix de Paris. We might think about the arc because um, the, the Grand Prix de Paris would have given him the ticket to the arc if he'd won that. And I'm guessing connections have gone back and worked out that mathematically um, to win the arc, you've got to win two races. To win the leisure, you've just got to win one and you're up against probably making your commitment to that slightly lesser horses. Um, so they made a decision they'd be favourite for this um, and it's a classic. And, and to be a small owner with a chance of having a classic winner uh, with a homebred horse like this is a dream come true. Um, so I understand why they've come to this race, but he's a very, very good man and a half horse, and I wouldn't be certain the way he races that he stayed the longer trip. So I'm not, I don't want to knock him at all and say he shouldn't be favourite for this, but stamina has to be a worry. Uh, and I would love to see him win this, absolutely love to see him win. It'd be a great story, and racing needs good stories at the moment. Um, but his, his stamina worries me. Similarly with Hookham, Hookham might well stay. He obviously won over a mile, over a longer trip than the Jeffrey Freer, a mile five. But again, his trainer automatically, when interviewed straight after that race, said, uh, this horse is not a stayer. He's, he's probably the best mile and a half horse I've had. Um, but Jim got off him and said he quickened really well. They didn't go fast. He's got lots of gears. So we'll obviously have to think about this in ledger, but I would not I would never consider him to be a cup horse for next season. So his automatic reaction was, he's got a really good mile and a half horse. 
but it's a sin ledger. Mm. And there's an awful lot of pressure for, for um, uh, horses to go for a classic like this. And both of those are stepping up. And of course, once you make the decision to run them in a race like this, you then justify the entry and say, yeah, he should stay, shouldn't he? Um, and there's a chance that both of those will stay, but there also is a realistic chance that, that they will be seen to best effect over shorter. In fairness, if you want to go back to last year's race, you can say the same about Logician. He won the St. Ledger despite being a horse who has the gears for a mile and a half. And connections were always adamant about him that he could drop back and trip this season. But we'll see him very, very shortly um, in, uh, on his uh, belated reappearance. And um, that joke uh, may be lost on you, listeners, but it's currently one fifteen as we're recording. So that's what Rory's referring to. Uh, yeah, so it's, so it's clearly possible. I don't want to suggest that anything's impossible, but I I have slight issues with um, uh, with two of the top three in the market and that reason. And my worry with Santiago clearly stamina is not a concern at all, um, given what he's done so far. I just worry whether we're being lulled into thinking he's a typical Aidan O'Brien, and ledger horse, when he's a horse who clearly peaked earlier in the season, and that wouldn't normally be the way the big trainers um, would select their St. Ledger candidates. Uh, and it may well be that he does go on again. He, he, end, he could end up being an exceptional St. Ledger horse. But it's, um, I think it's, it's dangerous to assume because he was ahead of his contemporaries of this trip in June and July that he still will be now. Well, one thing I'll say is that he bits to follow in the footsteps of leading light for Edna Bryan back in 2013 and Kew Gardens in 2018, who both won the Queen's Vaz and then came on to win the St. Ledger. So hopefully Santiago can do, do the same thing. It's Galileo Chrome for um for rory and i can see why uh, to be fair assistant trainer brendan powell was saying that the world is his oyster and the o'brien team had two options they could go for uh, a race in irish champions weekend uh, the kiltiernan or come to the saint ledger it's a far bigger statement of intent to come to the saint ledger he's interesting but it's been santiago in my head for a very long time i would feel very foolish to desert him only to then go and see him win i'll say one thing before we move on Emmett. when Seamus rode him at the Curra. A lot of confidence. Um, I was going to say balls of steel, whatever term you want to use. He, he dropped in. He was clearly the best horse in the race, but he didn't go wide. He went down the rail, got the horse. He, he basically came in after and he used every word bar keen. He used the word enthusiastic, could give himself a hard race, all these kind of terms. But he's a keen going horse. So when this horse ran behind Stradivarius, it was a small field. And Ryan obviously just wanted to track Stradivarius because he was the best horse in the race. He was a horse he had to beat. But he never relaxed. He never, for me, he never raced like he did in, in Royal Ascot or at the Curra. And this is a much bigger field. We have 12 runners in here. I think Frankie's going to take them out. That's the way you'd expect him to be ridden. And if this is an out-and-out mile-and-six test, uh, I, I just think we haven't seen... I think I, I, I think what... Rory said about the Irish Derby is, is fair and valid and Tiger Moss is going to run at the weekend and hopefully confirm the promise that he has showed but Santiago for me we haven't seen the best of him and the, that can be said for a lot of these horses mm-hmm. but don't underestimate him No I think it's a very strong thing to say Jane and also there's nobody better than Frankie from the front I can't wait for this race it's going to be fascinating Galileo Chrome for Rory Santiago for Jane and I we'll move to Leopardstown for the Irish Champion Stakes and 12 runners in the St. Ledger half that in the Irish Champion Stakes with 427,500 euro up for grabs but hey look we can't make you run Uh, so six runners topped by Reath 
1.72 currently on Betfair. Magical, 5.5. Japan was double figures, but obviously with the field size having come down, uh, he's now 6.0. Satsas, the French Raider, 10.0. Armory uh, is a big, a wild old price along with Leo de Fury and fair play to Aiden O'Brien for confirming that Armory would indeed come here when he joined us on the Final Forum podcast on Tuesday. Officially the highest rated horse in the world. In my view, he's definitely the best horse in training this season. And I know, Jane, that you're of the view that that's still enable and that's fair. However, you laid down the gauntlet to Charlie Appleby. You said, that was great in the judgment. Now come to the Irish champion stakes, then the arc. Well, here's the first leg. Is this going to be a lap of honour or can Magical close the gap? Uh, well, I spent yesterday afternoon with his breeder, Dermot Weld, and he is viewing this as his horse coming home because, of course, he bred him just outside the Curra. And uh, it's it's a shame that this is the big biggest shame, I think, for racing fans that they can't come and, and see himself and Sotsas in the flesh because that's what Irish Champions Weekend is all about when here, they here. come to your back garden. But we'll try and make the best of it. I think it's a select field. It's probably best for, for everybody that there isn't too many runners in here because it doesn't become messy and we just have a fair race. Gayath is going to break from three, go forward. That's his only running style. Sutsas from gate one will probably follow. I think Sutsas is completely underestimated. He's a horse that... Talk about bringing horses to Sutsas last year when he won uh, was it the pre de Jockey Club. He beat Persian King, who we saw last week, and yep. we were waxing lyrical about last week. That's good form. Jean-Claude Rouget, he was obviously super run in the arc last year on I think ground that was probably softer than ideal he was the best of the three year olds on that occasion and I know obviously the arc is a long term project but the fact that in the racing post uh, Rouget stated that basically he has to run in this for his stallion career that's how important the Irish champion stakes is and I, I wouldn't underestimate such that the ratings suggest though it's gay at race to lose. I really like Japan. I love Magical. If I was Ryan, I would have probably picked Magical. But um, we all kind of think, we're all probably thinking the same way of how this is going to go. And just to have Gayat come over, it's 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 wonderful. Jean-Claude Rougier, he did win this race in 2016 with the horse who would go on to become European champion three-year-old Almanzor uh, back in 2016. So it's great to see him back. And I think you're right. He shouldn't be underestimated. Colin Keane takes the ride for Jean-Claude Rougier. I was very, very interested in comments from Aidan O'Brien. He seems to think that Magical has improved since her run at York, that that was almost as though treating that as a stepping stone uh, to a certain extent, whether you want to believe that's another matter entirely. But he also said that they've tweaked things with her uh, and they're, they're constantly tweaking things with her. And he keeps on emphasizing how much stronger she is this year. Could you see her bridging that gap, Jane, or even turning the form around with Rayath, Gayath, whatever you want to say? She's a brilliant mare, but she's three lengths to find. Obviously, this is a different test. This is Leopard Sound. This is her backyard, but I don't see it. Um... She has dined at the top table many times and she's never managed to beat Enable. And that's just the parameter I'm going to take. The only horse I could see beating Gaeth is success. Roy Delargy, for you? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, um, essentially. Um, I guess um, this is an ideal race to look at in terms of tactics and, and uh, look at if you, if you want to be against Gaeth and you're looking at where your where your value lies, but also you've got the you've got the prospect of, of um, uh, if you think um, Gaeth is going to go out and do exactly what he did at York, 
um, then you've got the prospect of, of working out how the race will pan out and who will finish second. And um, and I'd have thought that um, Sotsas uh, to finish second German forecast is a value, but I'm surprised he's as big as he is, Sotsas in the betting. In terms of his, uh, his overall form, um, he would be second best in this race. Um, he's, he's certainly developed again this season from, from what I've seen. His second last time out was a very good run on ground that he probably didn't enjoy. Um, and he was given seven pounds to a decent um, horse who won that race, Scaletti. Uh, and the winner was leaning on him for the last furlong of the race and making it difficult for him. I thought that was a, a very good performance. I wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure last year how well he would train on. Um, but he clearly has. He's at least as good as he as he was last season, um, and his form his form stacks up really well. So he appears to be the main danger on paper. Admitting it as a, a deep race for the for the runners, um, he's also going to be ridden um, in such a way that he isn't that he's not going to try to go head to head with Gaiath either. And I think he's unlikely to. Um, you know, there's always a worry if you're if you're backing a horse to finish second. The backing the second best horse isn't always the best idea if that horse is going to go head to head with a um, a superior horse. Uh, often something else runs on late to pick up the pieces. Um, but I think Saltzans will be played fairly late here. You know, he, he, he tends to race mid div in his races, and he's got a good turn of foot. So I think he'll be played to utilise his turn of foot rather than trying to challenge Gayath early. And if that's the case, then I think he's um, he's the likeliest to. Uh, to run into the frame. What Magical has shown over and over again is that she can tough it out. She travelled, I thought, worst of all at York. Um, and yet, you know, other horses came up um, uh, to her and passed her. And she she kept going really well. That's what she always does in her races. Um, there's never a case. She never cracks in her races. She always runs to her, uh, to her form. Um, and you can also consider then that, you know, she's however she's played here that she will you know that she will run to the line but the concern is that you know given her run style uh, given how honest she is and what a battler she is that Shimi Heffernan's going to be under pressure to put it up to Gayath at an early stage and I just think that plays in the Sotsas' hands who's on the ratings a slightly better horse anyway what do you make of the fact... Yeah, so the official ratings, we should just say, are Rayat is obviously on 130, so he's miles clear. And then it's Magical 121, Satsas 119, and Japan 121. And Japan is the choice of Ryan Moore, Rory. So are we completely overlooking him? Because he's collapsed in price because of the field size. But now that Ryan Moore has chosen to ride him, he's collapsed since we were talking. He's gone 6.5 into 4.5. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a hugely... Um appealing price given the form that he's shown this season but you can make a case for him and um, I heard you talking to Aidan the other day and he did put up a um, uh, a good reason for his poor run in the King George where he came back with very sore feet um, and Aidan was convinced that was the reason and they let him they let him go shoeless for a couple of weeks um, and he's now a lot happier but you know that's that's one run. Um, it doesn't really. I mean, he ran he ran perfectly well uh, in the Eclipse, but he was. There's absolutely no reason uh, from the Eclipse to think he's going to go out and beat Gaiath unless Gaiath doesn't run his race. And um, seven to two is very skinny mm. uh, on this season's efforts for Japan. Uh, Jane, final word on Japan. He hasn't shown his three-year-old form this year. Wouldn't surprise me if he did it at Leopardstown, but his best form isn't good enough to beat Gaiath. So how do you want to play the bet then, Rory, in this? If you're, if you're including Satsas, is it a straight forecast on Gayath or do you go for the sweep and try and get Gayath beat? No, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it is, you know, 
it's always possible that some, something will give. But the way the way I see this race panning out is, is that um, Gayath won't um, uh, won't be bad value even at odds on in this race. Um, the, for, the, the, the forecast is the bet um, Gayath to beat um, to beat Sotsas just because the run style seems to suit that as well. So um, I think we've we've maybe had one or two that have been better value through the season in that regard. The, um, um, the Gubud Cup being a uh, a great example, but I think that's a solid bet. Uh, and if you want, you know, if you want to, you can back Saltas without the favourite. You can back Saltas each way as well, if that's the way you, you fancy it. But I've just been inclined to, to play a straight forecast. Satsas, so for Jane Mangan and for Rory DeLarge with Gayath and Satsas in the forecast for Rory. The Coolmore America Justify matron stakes, the Group 1. Ryan Moore confirmed to ride Fancy Blue for Dunico O'Brien, who's currently 287 and falling all the time in the market. Peaceful for Aidan O'Brien, who he did say on the show on Tuesday when he joined me that this was very much a case of her starting back. And they always did see her as a middle distance horse, so maybe the mile will be a little bit too short for her. But it was interesting to say that she's in a nice place to start back. He didn't sound too bullish, and she has drifted a little bit. Uh, 3.25 currently. Albina for Jessica Harrington and Shane Foley, 6.0. And then Champers Elise, the first of the Murta team, with Colin Keane on board, is 10.0. And know-it-all uh, with Kieran Fallon on board for Johnny Murta, 11.0. Obviously, Caroline Murta will be cheering on both. Jane Mangan, Fancy Blue, Peaceful. We saw them clash in the 1,000 guineas uh, where Peaceful came out on top, then over 10 furlongs in the Prix de Diane where Fancy Blue got a revenge. Can Fancy Blue succeed back over the mile? Uh, look, you, you completely burst my bubble there now. I was so going in strong on Peaceful until you told me Aidan's comments there. Um, I, I thought Peaceful was the best filly in the Prix de Diane. And we all, I thought going to the Curra on Guinea's Day that Peaceful would need her than a mile. But when she went forward at the Curra, she relaxed better than she did in France. It suited her because she made it a true run mile and she... And she won Fancy Blue flying home. I think Fancy Blue is probably another contender for further than a mile, realistically. Um, and if you take the, the Guineas form, literally, so wonderful is only a head off Fancy Blue in third. So she's a humongous price for each way punters, if you think, if you're, if you're looking for something a bit different. But um, peaceful for me, I think it was blatant for everybody to see in the Prix de Diane that she was, she was in a fight with Seamus for much of the race she's just a short head or a neck off Alpine Star and Fancy Blue with that run whereas Fancy Blue got the run of the race I think she could turn it around I know it's short of her best but I also think it's probably short of Fancy Blue's best as well uh, New York Girl I remember her being supplemented for an Irish Derby she's disappointed but obviously has shown ability that she could bounce back but probably another filly that needs further than a mile um, Albina has disappointed, should have won last time, realistically. Mm. We she had her excuses when she went off favourite for the Guineas at the Curra. The ground was too quick. Well, going to be pretty quick at Leopardstown, I'd imagine, as well. Um, Elise has done nothing but improve. She's got Colin Keane on. But I would imagine for the Murta team, know-it-all is, is the first pick. She's a very classy filly. But if, if I can't get away from the from the three Coolmore fillies. If you're an each way punter, you might think I'm mad putting up so wonderful each way. But she yes, she has shown signs of the fact that she's a little bit ungenuine, but she's full of talent, immense talent. And the fact that she's won her last two might just work for her confidence. 
but peaceful for me can can turn the tables with uh, Fancy Blue. 26.0 about So Wonderful. Uh, peaceful is who Jane is going to stick with, though, to beat Fancy Blue. To be honest with you, I'm with Fancy Blue. The one thing I will say about this race is Fancy Blue is a horse that I see as a middle distance horse. And that exactly as Jane said, that's kind of the issue here is that you've got two horses towards the top of the market who are quite short, who are almost certainly going to be better long-term over further. And we already know that with Fancy Blue. So perhaps this is a race where we'll see a little bit of an upset. That being said, Leopardstown does require that little bit of stamina, particularly as you uh, approach the finish. And it's interesting that Donnick O'Brien has chosen to come here and not the Irish champion stakes. And I don't think they would have been tilting at windmills there. Uh, Rory, the matron stakes, what's your take? Uh, my take is remarkably uh, similar to Jane's. I, I like Peaceful. Uh, I think the key race here is the Pre de Dian. It was a race full of quality, and all the form lines tie in there as well as Alpine Star uh, finishing second, having won the, the Coronation Stakes. So all the all the good mile form um, ties in through that. And of course, uh, a lot of people still think the world of Rabia, who was fourth. I thought. Um, Again, as Jane said, Peaceful was the one who gave the impression that, that she would benefit from a drop back and trip from that. Um, she was very, very keen on Dushimi. Um, and, uh, you know, she wasn't particularly well positioned as it went because naturally he wanted to get her get her some cover because she was really pulling for her head. And as a result, um, Alpine Star and Fancy Blue got, got the jump on her. She finished off really well until the last 50 yards, I would say. just Her run just petered out a tiny bit as if um, she would be seen to, to better effect over a slightly shorter trip. Now, she stayed it well enough, and it was a, it was a high-quality classic race, so I wouldn't want to say for a stage, she didn't say a mile and a quarter. Um, but because she's keen going, um, because she appreciates a strong pace, I think the drop back to a mile will suit her much better than Fancy Blue. Um, obviously, the concern would be if Aidan said, you know, he's given her time off and then brought her back, and this is a starting point for the autumn, you'd wonder slightly about her fitness, but I don't think she'll take an awful lot of getting ready. That's the impression I get with her, that she wouldn't, you know, there are some horses who are very, like we were talking about Mogul earlier on, mm. that you need to give them a hell of a lot of work at home to get them ready for a race, and even then, um, you, you need the race course to help bring them to fitness. I don't think that'll be the case for Peaceful. I, I imagine that a trainer of Aidan O'Brien's calibre will be able to get her ready pretty quickly. Um, and I would... Uh, I hope her price drifts a little bit on the back of what of what he said, uh, and if it does, I'd um, I'd very much fancy her. I thought it was a difficult enough race to call the result off, with um, with three um, uh, looking at it, Andy Post, um, three three um, affiliates who are very closely matched. Um, it looks a little bit. It's a bit of a head to head on paper between her and Fancy Blue, but of course the question over the mile brings the others into the equation and you can't afford to be more than a couple of pounds below your very best form and expect to win a race like this um, against, um, you know, high-class fillies. So um, Peaceful can't afford not to be fit to win this, but I suspect she will be and I'm going to stick with her. Well, with Ryan Moore choosing Fancy Blue, you'd imagine the Peaceful will take a little bit of a walk in the market and if so, music to Rory and Jane Mangan's ears, in which case, follow them in. Proceed with caution with Albina. That's all I'll say. Uh, the Clipper Logistics Boomerang Mile, very briefly on this. Look, it's going to be good ground. The official going right now is good, which might not be ideal for Century Dream, but really, he should be winning here, unless, Jane, Vatican City can bounce back. Yes, but Vatican City looks to be third choice of the Valley Doyle Riders. Um, if you're 
picking, like if you're considering Vatican City was backed for for the Irish Guineas, um, he obviously got struck into when we last saw him and we don't know, maybe he's had a lot of time off since then. But on ratings, it is all about the English horse here, isn't it? Century Dream. I think uh, Ancient Spirit gives us a good just level of form. He's the horse that is consistent throughout. Um, and Lancaster House is sure to run his ways as well. Uh, Safe Voyage. I'd be interested to see what Rory thinks of John Quinn's horse. Safe Voyage. He's a horse I like a lot, but I, for some other reason, I can't get a handle on what I really think of him. What What are your thoughts? I like him a lot. Um, he's a horse that everyone was keen to pigeonhole because he took a long time to... to I mean, he, he was winning handicaps at Galway, wasn't he, as a, as a young horse? Um, being brought over and uh, it took a while for him to make the breakthrough at um, uh, sort of listed and group level but he's just got better and better and you've got to remember I mean the question with him here is the mile because you know he, he is a seven furlong specialist essentially um, but he doesn't try a mile very often when he did try it last year he ran a tremendous race to be third uh, in the QE2 on really deep ground which would have tested stamina um, and I think um, again the <laughs> He's meant to be a heavy ground horse because obviously, you know, he's won several races at Haydock when the ground's been very soft. He's broken a course record at Epsom, a course record that stood for over 40 years as well. Um, and I know you, you can make the argument that there aren't that many top class races at Epsom um, over the uh, the trip he ran over. But um, a 40 year old course record is uh, is significant, especially for a horse who's meant to need soft ground. Uh, so he's run on quickish ground a couple of times this season and it hasn't been a massive bother to him. I think I think good ground is absolutely fine for him. And of course, it will help him with the trip. Um, I think he, he beat Century Dream at Ascot last year. Century Dream is nowhere near the same force um, on sort of a good, good farm grind. He did win um, a Group 3 at Newbury earlier in the season. Um, that, that's a race that's normally run at Epsom, uh, the Diamed Stakes. Not a particularly strong contest. He did that well enough, but he, he wouldn't have outstanding claims on this sort of ground. So I'd much rather have Safe Voyage over Century Dream. Okay, Safe Voyage. For Rory and Jane, you're a fan of that horse as well. We'll move on to the best named race of the entire weekend. The Paddy Power, is it 2021 yet, Stakes? Oh, roll it on and roll it on fast. Uh, this is a 5.15. And again, briefly, Jane, Patrick Sarsfield was a horse that you were very keen to talk about. Sarah Lynham as well, a bit of a winning machine. Um, no disgrace uh, last time at finishing third behind Barney Roy in Germany. That being said, there's a couple of fairly interesting runners in here, including a horse that you referenced earlier on, Tiger Moth. Yeah, the, we have kind of a level on Buckhurst and, and Patrick. So Patrick Sarsfield's a rapid improver all season. We really enjoyed him through the spring and obviously he went to Germany to get his group one place. Buckhurst is probably just one of those horses that brews just beneath the group one level and um, they're the they're the standard bears but there's really interesting horses in here. I think Bolivar for Paddy Toomey and, and, and William Buick is very interesting, completely unexposed, could be a, a horse on the up. And Tiger Moss, if we're taking his run literally, I'm not taking his run literally, but if you were, then he, he deserves to be favoured. But I'm a huge fan of Joseph's pair. Do I? How do I split them? I, I think Patrick Sarsfield has probably the more potential to keep improving. Um, but if I, was, if I was looking for each way value, I wouldn't look past Bolivar. I think he's a horse that the best is yet to come. Bolivar uh, for Jane Mangan. I'm still cleaning up the peas and carrots from the Irish Derby 
Rory, Tony Keenan and I were all over Tiger Moth and I can still I can still see him in my therapy sessions. He's going to get there. He's going to... Uh, oh, dang it. 14 to 1 ruined. Uh, it's just as bad as you back a third. I backed on patrol. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, God. The ground he made up from an impossible position was uh, was something else. But there you go. I thought it was a really tough race. Um, mainly because if you didn't know what trip it was and you just read the horses in the race, you'd be very confused. Mm. There just there aren't many mile and a half uh, horses in the contest, um, or horses who you know who at least are proven over the trip. A lot of mile and a quarter horses, one or two are proven over further, um, and I find it really tough to get involved. Um, I wouldn't be sure that he'd stay, but um, I'd give up Helia a chance up and trip. Run the really New York well family. Mile. Yeah, ran really well, really well over a mile um, at Killarney last time out. Uh, went second to, to so wonderful, keeping on really well at the finish, despite um, not really being on the right part of the track, I didn't think. Um, he won his maiden um, over an extended uh, nine, and a, uh, nine and a half furlongs. He was also um, second in a very, very good maiden at uh, Cork prior to that, uh, over a mile and a quarter. Um, and I think he's probably worth a try of this trip. You know, it, it, anything by Galileo, uh, with a little bit of stamina on the damp side of the pedigree as well, is well worth a try at a mile and a half. Um, it's quite a step up um, on, uh, you know, on, on that return over a mile. Um, but there's still more to come from him. Uh, the Dan Faisalana was very smart uh, herself, so I thought he was. I thought he was interesting, but it's not. It's such a difficult race to get a handle on um, because there's there's potential for improvement from a number of these at the trip, and there's also going to be one or two who probably don't stay. And would be better at um, uh, a slightly shorter, and that might be true of Apelia as well. But um, he's the one I thought was interesting in the race. But it's not. There's so many races to punt on this weekend. I didn't think this was one of them. Rory Delargy putting up a Niarcos horse at Leopardstown. He may not sound confident, but I'm already sold. The mention of Niarcos done, sold already for the Petty Power. Is it 2021 yet? Race of the weekend in terms of names. To be fair, um, I will say this: good horses have won this race in the last ten years. Free Eagle. Fascinating rock. It's also been won by such Aidan O'Brien heavyweights as Norway, Rostropovich, the United States, Await the Dawn. Proceed with caution with the O'Brien horses here. Just proceed. Not saying they can't win, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be superstars. We are going to double back to Doncaster a little bit later on where we'll get Rory's thoughts on the Portland and, of course, Wichita and others in the park stakes as well. But we'll talk about the Curra next. August 13th, 2010. Frankel wins for the first time at Newmarket, beginning an incredible run of 14 wins. All great streaks start somewhere, so start your own with Betfair's free bet streak. Simply bet £20 on the Betfair exchange and get a £5 free bet. With each free bet you win, you'll get another. It's that simple. Free bet streak from Betfair. Weekly opt-in, back or exchange bets, placed Monday to Sunday. Minimum odds to £1.55 free bet awarded at bet settlement. Valid for 72 hours. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Comer Group Irish St. Ledger sees Twilight Payment head the betting on Betfair at 3.75 ahead of Fujiara Prince for Roger Varian, 4.33. Sovereign for Aidan O'Brien, 5.0. Master of Reality, 8.0. And Micro Monage and Search for Song, last year's winner, 9.0. And 11.0 is the current prices on Betfair. The Curra on Sunday. Jane, you'll be there. Saturday at Leopardstown. Sunday at the Curra for RTE. What's your thoughts on the Irish St. Ledger? 
Uh, sure, very looking, really looking forward to to Sunday as well. I think the two year old races in particular are going to be uh, very, very educational for us all. But the the ledger is a race. I think for punters, there is money to be made. Search for a song. Dermot Wells won this race seven times, and he's won it twice back to back with uh, Vintage Crop, and of course, Vinero won it four times. Search for a song never got credit last year for mm. what she did. She was completely running away with Chris Hayes for over a mile of the race, and she still managed to beat Q Gardens. There's no Q Gardens in this. She's had a disaster of a start to the season. She just didn't do whatever for whatever reason in the Moors Bridge she didn't run her race then she basically got knocked sideways at Cork where she pulled up I thought her run behind the Tarstalls in the Tarstalls Gold Cup behind Magical was actually her first run of the year for whatever reason she she flew home that was over an inadequate trip of, of a mile and two for me Search for a Song has not got the respect she deserves she's got the very same rating as Twilight Payment who will be the, the fancy for many people because of his recent form but she's the she's the filly and she's getting weight so if you're looking beyond her Bolleville for Joseph is interesting obviously coming from France last year was very good at Leopardstown earlier in the year Aiden will have his runners in there but I, I find it difficult that search for a song will probably be a bigger price than she deserves to be. I could not agree with you more. I think the 11.0 is an insult, but at the same time, it's a character. She was 50 to 1 for the Tattersalls, and I know the trip was wrong, but, but she's still, like, for each way punters, that was, it was grand. Yeah, it's, it's, she's a ridiculously big price for this. Uh, and as you said, there's no Q Gardens to take on this year. Uh, Rory, search for a song for us. What about you? I see I'm not. I'm not a search for song um, fan. Um, I don't want to take an awful lot away from her, and you know, you can. There's two ways of looking at her winning this race last last year. One of them is the obvious one that it was a remarkable performance, given that I've I've rarely seen a horse pull as hard as she did in the early stages of the race, and therefore to go and see out a mile and six and beats a horse of the caliber of Kew Gardens was a remarkable performance from a three-year-old filly, given this is a tough race for three-year-olds anyway. Um, the other way of looking at it was that because she pulls so hard, and um, uh, Chris Hayes, no doubt, said, listen, lads, I'm coming through, this one's running away with me. Uh, they all, everyone kind of let her go, assuming that there was no way she could see the trip out, given what she'd done. But once she got to the front, she settled, and she managed to build up that lead, and I think that took everyone else unawares. Um, and the issue I have with that is that her form prior to that was was good, but it wasn't in the same kind of league, and she's she's not produced it since. She's had excuses, of course, um, and it may well be that she's um, she's capable of doing that again. And clearly, the the talent is there, and Dermot Well still. I was going to say he speaks about it with a twinkle in his eye. Well, he, he speaks with a twinkle in his eye most of the time, doesn't he, Jarvis? Um, in fairness, so she could bounce back, and I don't, I don't want to be denigrating her, denigrating her because it was a remarkable performance to win last year, um, given um, various circumstances, her her age and her inex, relative inexperience against older horses, and the fact that she pulled like a train. Um, but I just thought my immediate reaction was. The, the riders have been caught on the hop because they assumed, as anyone would, that she couldn't possibly hold on um, given how she'd gone through it. So um, I'm against her, although it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a massive surprise 
to see her bounce back. And she's, you know, in terms of, of what she's capable of, she's she's not badly priced. So I wouldn't suggest for a second she's a she's a lay in the race, but I find it hard to back her. Um, in saying that, there's nothing that absolutely stands out. I think Twilight Payment's a, a bad favourite, isn't he? Agreed. I mean, a, sm- a, a smashing horse, mm. lovely horse. He's been around for, for, for ages, always gives his running, loves the Kura. But, you know, he's a seven-year-old um, who's fully exposed and he, came, he was seventh in the race last year. So he doesn't really deserve to be. He's 11 to four, I saw when I looked at the, the betting yesterday. And that's just, that, that's too skinny for, for a horse with his profile. Uh, and again, you've got to give him all the respect in the world because he's been a tremendous servant. Um, to various connections over the years um, but too short in terms of, of overall form I was inclined to give Sovereign a chance I didn't think he was disgraced um, in the in the, um, the King George last time out behind Enable um, you wouldn't really have expected him to win that he was almost used as a pacemaker anyway um, he ran pretty well on his reappearance over course and distance uh, which is a race he would have wanted in the, in the vintage crop uh, and he was ridden against type he was held up um, that day, um, you know, you can argue that he's not—he's not fully proven at the trip, given he wasn't at his very best that day. But that—that that run gave every indication of being a, a sighter for him for the season. Um, yes, you can say his his win in the Irish Derby last year was was something of a fluke, given again he went off at a at an SP of thirty-three to one, and he was he was considerably bigger on the exchanges, he was about sixty, mm. um, and it was assumed he was just setting the pace for better fancy stable companions as he'd done at Epsom prior to that but he did it in really good style he clearly likes the track he's got an awful lot of ability and when it comes down to it if Twilight Payment is the favourite for this race Sovereign must be overpriced I find it difficult to disagree with that very difficult to disagree with it and uh, Aidan O'Brien spoke very positively about him said that he needed the run first time out Uh, they were happy with what he did last time and they're happy with his work so they go for it and uh, they, they feel as though he could be a cup horse going forward. So this will be a big step for him. And given the prices, 3.75 but Twilight Payment, 5.0 but Sovereign, I'd happily weigh in with him. One thing I'll add before we move on about Search for Song is that she hasn't been tried anywhere near her optimal distance this season. Uh, and perhaps this race will, will bring about improvements. She certainly wasn't disgraced behind Magical last time out. So Search for Song for Jane, Sovereign, the last year's Irish Derby winner, who we know goes well at the Curra, uh, for Rory Zalargi. That's the the Irish St. Ledger, and it's a fascinating race, but the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes, the Goffs Vincent O'Brien National Stakes, this is the race of the day, in the Curra at least, in my opinion, we're battleground. Currently heads the betting at 3.5. He's been joined by Master of the Seas, a horse that Rory and I and Jane were waxing lyrical about not so long ago. Uh, Kate, a big fan of as well. A really impressive victory against Devious Company back in Newmarket in July. Uh, 3.5. Lucky Vega for Jessica Harrington. Already a Group 1 winner, 3.75, military style, 10.0, and McSweeney, who I did not listen to the team. I ignored the Bulger team, and it came back to haunt me with a 28-1 to win. Oh, dearie me. I'm still sick over that. 13.0 for Jim Bulger, uh, who, of course, has done very well in the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes in the past. Jane, this is going to be a mouth-watering clash. Yeah, like, where do you start, Emmett? This is brilliant. Talk about the best calls and... Britain and Ireland coming together and I, I think this will be the two-year-old race of the season so far. I, I don't think I know it is. Um, just take Charlie Appleby and, and Godolphin and, and the last two years they've brought over. Obviously Pinatubo last year came here having won the vintage stakes 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what Battleground has done. <laughs> Go back two years, Charlie Appleby came over with a horse called Quarto, who'd won the superlative. That's what Master of the Seas has done. It's very difficult to pick holes in these horses. Both of these are rated 112, so the handicapper doesn't know either. But Lucky Vega is the Group 1 winner in here. He's 117. It's his first step to, to seven furlongs, but I don't think that'll be an issue. Uh, the ground will be a factor. I think he's probably a horse that, not that he's better with a knees, but that he could prefer a knees and, and handle it better than other horses. Um, and I, I thought he was very good in the Phoenix, but you know, there's, there's a lot of depth to this. It'd be interesting to see how Cadillac gets on in the future champions race at Leopardstown to see the futurity form for McSweeney. Uh, I think Cadillac is a serious chance at Leopardstown, so we'll watch and wait on that. But something tells me Master of the Seas is the best two-year-old colt in Britain, especially at this distance. And I've no doubt the battleground at the moment of what we've seen is the best valued oil two-year-old. So to call a winner between them, I'd love to know somebody's thesis of how they can separate them. I was I was blown away with Battleground, particularly because we all know, and even Aidan has said himself, that his two-year-olds have been a little bit in and out. They've been not running consistently. Well, this is the one horse that has shone beyond the mark as such. And if the form of the yard, hopefully it'll stand up and be fine, but I think... I can't split them. And that's a stupid answer for anybody listening in thinking I'm sitting on the fence, but I'd be pure guessing if I was telling you I thought one horse was better than the other. No, I like the honesty. And look, we shouldn't be forgetting Jessica Arrington's horse, Lucky Vega. And you're right about the official ratings as well. Uh, just to expand on what Aidan O'Brien was saying, so he, he repeated this on Tuesday's show with me, but if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, shame on you, but I'll, I'll save you the bother and I'll tell you now. Um, he essentially said that there were issues with a number of his juveniles some of them were under the weather. Part of the reason for this was they wanted to compete at Royal Ascot because they they value it and they feel that the form of, of Royal Ascot, uh, the intertwining form lines are very, very important. And so they wanted to compete. Because of the qualification process and the fact that you had to have a run, they had to rush their horses to make their debut. That's what happened with Battleground and how he got beaten. And then to go and compete at the Royal meeting. So first of all, they weren't sure if they'd even be able to get there. And then... Once they did, it was a matter of having them right. Some of them took to it, a lot of them didn't. And this then applies to horses that even didn't make it to Royal Ascot because some of them were being revved up to try and get there. Since then, it's been a rebuilding process. So not to give up, to keep the faith with a lot of the juveniles. He blames himself. Um, Not many would, to be fair. Then again, other trainers would probably come in for a huge amount of criticism, but at least Edna O'Brien is smart enough and good enough to be able to hold his hand up and say, look, I didn't quite get this right. Uh, with Battleground, he's the exception that proves the rule because he was beaten on debut but has thrived since. We didn't rate that Royal Ascot race a whole lot, but you cannot take away anything from his performance at Goodwood and he looks to be very, very exciting. Master of the Seas, damn, I think he's a good horse. Rory, sort this race out for us. Uh, I'm not sure I can, to be perfectly honest. The one thing I thought about it um, and maybe the pair of you can give me a, um, a point from this. I didn't think there was any concern about Lucky Vegas stepping up a trip to seven. Certainly not on not on uh, the way he shaped um, in the Phoenix Stakes last time out, not on pedigree. And if you don't think he's got a problem stepping up to seven furlongs, then he ought to be the clear favourite for this race. 
Uh, not suggesting you know he should be an all-on favourite, um, but I was slightly surprised to see him priced up as, as third best um, when it's easy enough um, if you want to. I think it's like it's a slightly dangerous thing to do, but it's easy enough to um, uh, to pick a little hole in the form of both um, battlegrounds um, and the uh, the Godolphin Horse Master of the Seas because. Both of the big devious company last time out. Devious company could finish only ninth in the Ballyhean Sticks last time out. Um, and if you want to, if you want to labour that point, uh, you could argue that their their wins in uh, what looked very high quality uh, Group Three races, Group Two race, um, in the case of the the vintage, uh, isn't quite as good as it looked at the time. Um, the proviso with that, of course, is, is whether you think Devious Company has trained on since since early season, and he comes from a yard who struggles for form uh, since uh, Goodwood. Essentially, um, Devious Company has been in a sales race at, at York, and then he went uh, to the Bally Inn, another, another sales race. Um, was disappointing in that. Uh, I'm not sure that does necessarily reflect on either. To be fair, Rory. Um, to be fair, he was very unlucky the first time. And then three days later, he turned up in the belly hain stakes. Yeah, like exactly. He completely blew it at the start. So I, I would no, forgive that's him. That. I, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, on one hand, you can you can point to the form not working out particularly well. Um, but the, the proviso is that um, Devious Company hasn't hasn't run to his full ability uh, on his last two starts. And, and you can make excuses for him. Um, and that makes it a difficult race to, to call. But I just thought that I, I don't really want to, I want to really watch this race and, and see what the pecking order is like. The one thing we've struggled with with the two-year-olds this season particularly is getting an idea on what, normally when we get to, to this stage, you've got an idea of who the leading mid-season two-year-old is. And you might have something that's uh, that started a little bit later and showing off a lot of promise. And the Jewverse then kind of becomes the, um, uh, the place where you cry the champion two-year-old. Um, but the, it's all up in the air at the moment, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, we've seen horses who might be outstanding, given another chance. Um, but it's very hard to separate them. It's very hard to separate the top of the market here. As I said, the way I look at it at the moment, um, I would make Lucky Vega favourite. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's he still might be the right price. It just means that all the prices should be a little bit bigger at the top of the market. Um, so he would be my... He'd be my pick in the race, but I, again, it's a race I'd be more inclined to watch than punt on at this stage. It's a race we're going to learn an awful lot about. I would not rule out Max Sweeney at all from having a big play here, and how to, what a great story it would be for Jim Bulger if he does. But Lucky Vega... Also, also watch Thunder Moon. I was at the Curra when he won A Course and Distance Maiden. He had won a barrier trial before that, and he was in the Anne-Marie O'Brien colours that day. He's now going to carry the colours of Chantal Yeah. So that's Joseph O'Brien. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think that horse was very taking on debut. Yes, he lacks experience, but bear in mind he did win the barrier trial as well. So I think if he was a bigger price, he 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 might be an, an each way play for somebody having a few shillings on. Interesting. Thunder Moon, a valuable info from Jane. Uh, Aidan O'Brien has taken this race four times in the last 10 years. Charlie Appleby, of course, won it the last twice. And Jim Bulger has an exceptional record in it as well. Something's got to give in the national stakes. Jessica Harrington took it with Path Fork back in 2010 as well. It's going to be a cracker. And that's at 10 past four. The 340 
is the version for the Phillies. Uh, Shale for Dunlick O'Brien, 4.0. Pretty Gorgeous for his brother Joseph is 2.0. Mother Earth for Father Aiden, 8.0. And then Jim Bulger gets in the act as well with Auntie Birdie. Yeah, let's go with Birdie, 11.0. Um, we've got Teresa Mendoza in here for Ken Condon as well, who's got a, a fantastic piece of news during the week with uh, a big owner coming into the yard uh, in the shape of Michael Tabor. Uh, let's get your thoughts on the Meigler stakes. Uh, really, the market is dominated by the O'Brien team with Pretty Gorgeous heading the way. Does the market have it right in your view, Jane, or can Shale close the gap? I mean, you fan of shale but uh, pretty gorgeous is pretty good and it's very hard to come away from the ratings so there's five pounds between them on official ratings pretty gorgeous 110 shale 105 but if you take time form ratings uh pretty gorgeous is rated the best filly in ireland 114p just two pounds off the highest which is lucky vega the, the highest two-year-old campanella and lucky vega so obviously time form rate are extremely high and I think she'll continue to step forward for when she got beaten at Leopardstown by Shale. I thought it was just an experience that beat her. And on the day, the ground was very quick. It paid to be on the front end. And that's where Shale was. Whereas uh, Shane Crossroad, um, pretty gorgeous, uh, more patiently, more considerately, and, and probably just thinking that she would need the run. But there was no mistakes in the debutante. The debutante is the best trial for this as well. It has mm-hmm. thrown up many previous winners and I think the market has it spot on I do like Teresa Mendoza uh, tipped her up the last day when she got beaten but I'll forgive her that I think she's a filly that has a big future but pretty gorgeous is rated higher than the Colts by time form and that says a lot for me it's hard to get away from her really Rory it's, it's virtually impossible um, she should be um, mentioning time for but it should be nine points clear here um, off Shale and she just looks to have more improvement in her than Shale as well at this stage uh, this season anyway you know um, we know what um, what Shale's parents both did uh, as three year olds so it'll be no surprise to see her go on again uh, next season but in the, in the short term you, you know you'd have thought um, uh, the beating that uh, Pretty Gorgeous handed out to her last time out um, there was no, no hint of a fluke about that and it's very very hard uh, not being with her on the day uh, despite the skinny price and again uh, you know um, Jane's mentioned that the most interesting um, outsider if indeed you can really call her an outsider Teresa Mendoza uh, was was um, was very impressive uh, here on debut and the ground was very deep um, when she was uh, nosed out last time in the round tar stakes so I'd expect her to, to improve again and um, she might end up being the biggest threat Last race to preview with Jane before she has to leave is the Darrenstown Stud Flying Five Stakes. Uh, surprisingly, over five furlongs. Make a challenge 3.75 on Bedfair Glass Slippers, 5.0. There's a lot of UK Raiders here, uh, including Al Ali, 6.0. Liberty Beach, possibly 6.0. And Equilateral Keep Busy is going to come over for the John Quinn team, 11.0. Uh, Jane, the Flying Five, is this all about Make a Challenge? It's not. Make a challenge is the best Irish challenger, but it could be the best story of the week were he to win. Uh, obviously, we know he was purchased for, what, £6,500 as an unraised horse, and Dennis Hogan has now won 10 races with him and over three quarters of a million, or over a quarter of a million euro even. And it would be a first group one for all connections. So I, I'll be shouting for him, but it totally 
exactly depends on, on what English challengers come over. I have a huge amount of respect for Kia Moro. Michael Dodds has done really well with sprinting fillies in the past and I thought her last run uh, was the best we've seen from her. And if she can continue to step forward like that, what was it, just behind Batash, the, the, the weather forecaster here is meant to be good. He's not dependent on it, but I think he, he would operate on it better than a lot of other horses. Um, but I, I wouldn't bet against him. He's what? Glass Slippers is, is rated superior, but as actually is Kiyomoro. But uh, I think he's a horse all season. Anytime I've gone against him, he's he's beaten me. So I'm not going to make the same mistake for a third time. So you're going to stick with Make a Challenge? Yes. With respect for Kiyomoro, uh, the raider. Well, I'm glad the English traders are coming over because only for them, this would be like... Speaking colours and make a challenge have been mopping up six and seven furlong races all year. This is five. I met Dennis Hogan at Curra the last time he won over six and he said that he thought he's best at five. So we're about to find out. Happy days. Um, it does not look as though... Now, he's still in, but it, but what Aidan O'Brien was saying on Tuesday, Lope Fernandez is, an, is a doubtful runner. So this would have been pathetic without all the UK runners. So thankfully they are coming over and uh, they've been mopping up in these races. Uh, Jane, I know time's against you. So who is your best bet for the weekend? Peaceful. No matter what Aidan O'Brien says. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. What does he and know? I think, I think as Rory alluded to, if, if she drifts in the market, all the better. All right. I'm sticking with Fancy Blue. <laughs> But uh, peaceful for Jane Mangan. Wise words. And Rory is with her as well. Jane, uh, you're on RTE all week. I think you can watch RTE on the RTE player in the UK. I think you can. I don't think the geotagging kicks in. So Final Forum Podcast listeners in the UK can watch you there. Uh, but here in Ireland, we'll be tuning in as well. Yourself and Hugh Cahill uh, and the team. Best of luck with Leopardstown and the Curra. And we'll talk to you again soon on the Final Forum Podcast. Thanks very much, guys. Best of luck. Cheers, Jane. Take care. Rory, let's get your thoughts on the Darren Stanstead Flying Five Stakes. Uh, make a challenge for Jane. What about yourself? Um, I think it's fair to say he's the right favourite for this. Um, make a challenge. Um, but I have a feeling you might know who I'm going to go for here. Uh-oh. I have a feeling. Is it Al-Ali by any chance? No, it's not Al-Ali. Ooh. Um... Although, obviously, you know, he'd be a lot happier here. Um Back at the uh, the curve than he was at uh, York, which wouldn't really be his his track. Um, no, I'm gonna be with one who was well beaten um, by uh, Ali at uh, Sandown on Eclipse Day, Made in India. Ah, our old favourite. Rocks up, good old Made in India. Now she's had no chance in her last two runs. Uh, she ran she ran very badly at Sandown, uh, and after that day, she didn't run her race uh, at all. I don't know what the issue was. She's run two bad races in the last in the last year. Uh, there have been similar sort of things. If she feels something isn't right, she doesn't let herself down. Um, so she did on, on both times. The grind was on the fast side, but she handles it. She handles it quick, but she's she's perfectly um, effective on soft ground as well. Um, but she ran in a, uh, probably the weakest race she ran in last season was a listed race at Air, and she ran no race at all that day. And similarly in the the Coral Charge, I think it was um, at Sandown, she just. She was the first horse beaten in that, um, was beaten 12 lengths in the end. Now, she was also um, ostensibly well beaten at York last time I finished, 8th of 18 in the uh, the summer six, um, summer Philly sticks. 
She ran a lot better than uh, than it looked that day. Uh, she tried to match strides with breathtaking look from the start. The pair of them were drawn on the wrong side of the track. Um, the winner, Queen Georgia, ended up coming from from the um, uh, the high draws that day. Uh, stayed it very close to the stand side rail. Um, there was definitely a bias on the track that day. Also, you know, they went they went ridiculously fast in that race. Um, and I counted against Maiden India, who's beaten you know less than four and a half lengths in the end. She did a lot better than the better result. She'll be happier back at five furlongs. And I think that the interesting race for her was first time out this season at Haydock. She ran the Cecil Frail Stakes, um, and that turned out to be decent form. She was um, carrying a penalty that day, and she was giving weight to younger horses as well. So she ended up finishing uh, less than a length behind Liberty Beach. She's been three quarters of a length and a head by Liberty Beach and Queen Jojo, form which has worked out very well since. She was giving £13 uh, to the winner that day. And if the pair of them line up here, she will be giving £1 to Liberty Beach. Oy oy. That gives you an idea of, of the, um, the differential there. Um, I thought that was a huge run from a really, really good performance over six. I think she's slightly better at five, uh, in truth. Um, and I would love to see her come here because she's, she has the ability to get in the frame. Um, it's a little hard to see her winning it, but there have been plenty of big prize winners uh, popping up. Um, but she's certainly better than her form looks. And people tend to look at the last form line. Uh, and if there's a question mark about it, they might look at the last two form lines. And what they'll see there is they'll see that she's, you know, she's only eighth. Um, in a group three last time out, just well beaten prior to that. And even if they do hark back to the um, the Cecil Frail, they'll see that she was beaten by Liberty Beach and Queen Jojo and assume that that's an indication that she's inferior to those horses. She's not. Um, there is a slight question mark about, about her showing her form, given those two moderate runs in the last year. But on balance, she's going to be a much bigger price than she should be. She's no good thing by any manner of means. She could run the race of her life and get beaten. Um, but she has more chance than the market will suggest here, assuming she's declared for the rest. 26.0 for a gal. should be bigger than that. should be 50s. Oh! This, this is the whole thing about tipping outsiders. You know, don't don't just pile in at the first price you're offered. The whole point about, about backing outsiders on the basis that people will look at them and write them off straight away is that those are the horses that will drift in the market. Um, and this is, you know, I'm a little bit wary of, of tipping outsiders in weak markets because people want to get on early and a couple of five pound bets are struck and suddenly you're getting half the price. Um, this is one of those, if the longer you leave it, the bigger the price you'll, you'll get, quite so, frankly. So here's what we have to do. I know the temptation given Rory's record and last weekend, just to, just to go back and remind everyone, 10 to one winner, which was the next best. We won't mention the nap who bummed out a seven to one winner and a nine to two winner. And a nine to four winner. Four winners. And that's not even mentioning the 76 to one forecast. And we were robbed, robbed, I tell you, of a 350 to one tricast. Oh uh, my he God. Just, he just went too, just a bit too fast in front at our part, didn't he? Oh. Um, but, uh, but there you have it. Yeah, this is, and sometimes I'll, I'll put something up. This is 33 to one. That's the wrong price. He should be 10 to one. By all means, take the third, do take the price then because the price won't last. Uh, sometimes I, I, I'll put a horse up on the basis that this will run better than people expect it to run, but there's no reason why it should be a shorter price. Um, and sometimes those horses double in price. So don't be, don't be, you know, looking at an illiquid market and getting involved too early. Um, as I said, 
you know, anyone looking at the form will make assumptions about her last three runs mm. and potentially come to the wrong conclusion. We're not sure she's going to be right back at her very best either. Uh, I do have a lot of time for Eric Alston as a trainer. He's been around for forever. Um, he's a very, very good trainer of sprinters. And if he brings her across, he'll do so because he thinks she's at her peak. Um, and she would um, she'd be an interesting runner here. And, you know, we made the point that this would be a weak race without the uh, the British horses. And she doesn't have a huge amount um, to find with uh, with those. Um, K.M. Moore obviously has got a great chance on her run, her non-thought run. The impression I get with her is that she's always going to be at her best at a, a track that really tests speed more than anything else. And obviously we're looking at the minimum trip here, but you're against the corner of the curve all the way. And that's, that's a slight concern um, for her because, you know, the reason she went so close because she could go faster than Batash in the early stages at York, and that's um, that's saying something. Mm, it's quite I, certainly res- I certainly respect her chances. I'm not, I'm not putting you off. It's just, it's just a niggling worry that the Curra might not be her, her ideal track. In, in strictly speaking, I would say that the Curra might not be the ideal track for, for Made in India either. But with one of those, you're going to get a short price, and the other one, you're going to get an enormous price. Um, and I'd be inclined to play the enormous price each way. So here's the important thing: hold Mad Tough with Made in India. Hold Mad Tough. Wait for somebody to go nuts on the bet for exchange and put up 55s, 65, 75, and then strike, smash it up, smash them up, up and down the lines, get stuck in, obviously, you know, responsibly. Certainly, certainly don't, don't be touching the exchanges before the, uh, the firms price it up. No, 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 no. Because you'll you know, give you the game away completely two, then. Two quid at 30 and then uh, everyone goes 25. Exactly, yeah. You give the game away completely. Let the bookies do the do the dog work, right? Let them put up Made in India the big price. Then the Betfair exchange will follow. Then strike and hammer them. If you want to go and swing for something at a big price now, Rapid reaction is 50s. And back in July, ran a super race behind Al Ali. Does have ground to make up and make a challenge, but I would forgive that run on soft ground. And back on good, second to make a challenge at, at Nace. Uh, second behind, uh, third behind Al Ali, but only beaten two and a quarter lengths. Wild price. 50s plus is available. Rapid reaction. So there's my tilt at windmills for the Curra. We'll switch back to Doncaster, Saturday, live on Sky Sports Racing. And if you haven't seen this already, uh, at theraces.com currently have a, a microsite for the St. Ledger. There's so much information there. There's video interviews, race replays, uh, statistics are available, and also the going guide and weather forecast. Loads of stuff uh, that is particularly valuable to you. So that's stledger.attheraces.com or just go onto the At The Races main page and you'll get access to it from there. The Champagne Stakes, the Group 2, over seven furlongs. Owen Burroughs has the favourite at 2.5. Al Basher with Jim Crowley on board. Uh, Chint for Richard Hannon and Philip uh, Pat Dobbs. Philip Dobbs? Yeah, let's call him Philip. Why not? Sorry, Pat. 3.5. Uh, Devious Company, who we talked about earlier on, 9.0. And uh, Aidan O'Brien was alluding to the fact that they were going to pull their horses, and they have. But Joseph O'Brien uh, sends over a state of rest with Shane Cross on board. And, of course, he'll be on board in the uh, the big race, the St. Ledger as well, and Galileo Chrome. Champagne stakes. Rory, what's your thoughts? Uh, I'm not sure it's a great race to punt on. I, I prefer Al Bashir. Um, strictly speaking, Chinded is the one to beat uh, on the ratings. He won the Pat Edry Stakes at, um, at Ascot last time out, uh, and that form has, has worked out well. Um, it looks a, it's only a listed race. It comes, um, uh, 
comes between big meetings. It comes just before Glorious Goodwood, so it tends to be a weak enough contest, um, given you've got the Vintage Stakes coming up a few days after that. But it'd be Cove, Neville Crown and St. Lawrence, and Cove and St. Lawrence both went out and won listed races on their next start to make it look pretty good. And Neville Crown won uh, the best maiden run in the country every year, the convivial at uh, New York. So that form looks very good. And strictly speaking, he's done that very easily as well on the day. So he, he should be favourite. Um, on that basis the interesting thing though was he made an, an impressive winning debut at Doncaster mm. I mean that sounds slightly more surprising than it should be but he he made his debut at Doncaster he beat a horse called Alablack a length and three quarters looking a good prospect um, and that, that was his debut it was Alablack's debut and then he went on to win a listed race second time out interestingly Alablack then turned out and ran another Doncaster maiden um, next time out with the benefit of that experience I say maidens and novice just to be absolutely accurate about it. And he ran into Al-Bashir. And Al-Bashir, on his debut, beat Alablack six and a half lengths. So on that comparison, debut uh, Al-Bashir is a better horse than debut Jindid. And then you've got to work out whether you think Al-Bashir was at his best on debut or will improve. I would be gobsmacked if a horse trained by Owen Burroughs was ever to show his best form first time up. Yeah. That there can hardly be a more patient trainer in the country uh, than Owen Burroughs. And, and that's, you know, uh, he's in a very fortunate position to be to um, be so patient in that he's employed by Sheikh Hamdan al-Maktoum and he was picked out um, before he even had a training licence uh, to be Sheikh Hamdan's private trainer. Um, and there's no, you must win these races now or else. Um, so he was able to get his feet under the table and if he really liked a horse who needed time, Sheikh Hamdan was more than happy to say, give him time then. Um, you know, he's um, uh, he's he's learned from the best. Uh, he was with Sir Michael Stout for a long time, and obviously Stout is much the same. You know, if you think a horse is going to be at his best at five, don't rush it trying to get into the 2,000 guineas. Um, so uh, it would be surprising on that basis if Al-Bashir was some kind of first-time-out winner flash in the pan. He must improve a chunk from that and if he does improve a chunk from that race then I think he'd improve past Chin did um, but unfortunately the market thinks that as well so I'm not sure I'm getting much of an angle nice. I thought that Chin did might be favourite here because if you look at the uh, I'll dig out time form ratings for this as well adjusted ratings on, on paper 125 for Chin did, which is a high rating for a race like this Al-Bashir gets 113 Chin did gets a small P Al-Bashir gets a big P mm. that's 12 pounds that he's officially got to find but of course you've only got to go back to the debut and see that it compares directly with Chin did's debut um, and it's a better performance uh, on the figures if you're taking the runner-up as the um, as the line between the two horses. So that's the way I would look at this. But I'm not sure if, if you're going to get six to four one and five to two the other top prices. Um, uh, it's it's debatable whether you're whether you're digging out enough value. But Al-Bashir does look a very promising. Uh, very exciting horse for the future. I wouldn't be surprised that by Saturday morning they're much closer, if not flipped. And Richard Hannon won this race last year. And I can see Chint being tipped up by a number of people, but I'd be with you. I think Al-Bashir is far more interesting. Uh, we'll go to the three o'clock. I suspect there's another race to come, the Portland, which I suspect you'll be very, very keen on. But I really like one here. Uh, the Bet365 Park Stakes, the Group 2 over seven furlongs. We've got Lamato at 3.5. We've got One Master at 4.0. Malatham is 6.0. But more interestingly, in my view... Frankie Dettori, Aidan O'Brien, Wichita, 4.5, up and down the lines. Rory, he wins. <laughs> uh, 
I this is a, this is a cracking race. It's a very 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 good renewal of the the park stakes. Um, I think um, I think Wichita would have to be a have to be a very decent horse to be uh, to be winning this against um, specialists at the trip. Um, I'd be concerned about which you may well do and of course you've, you've got the inside line to Aiden as well uh, so you know what the score is but his his progress has stalled a little bit of late um, this is a tremendous race it is to be I'm not, sure, I'm not sure it's a punting race the ground is liable to be quite fast which should be a slight worry for uh, for one master yes. but so she the, did win the going right now is good and the forecast is pretty decent as well and we've talked in the past about one master who's obviously an absolute star of ours seven furlongs is ideal for her but really she wants it soft well she, she doesn't want it soft it's, it's worth pointing out that the issue with her is um, she wants it. She wants it soft as she's running over six furlongs, and she probably wants it on top as she's running over a mile. Because mm. um, William Haggis has always made the point he can run her in the races he wants to run her in because there are very few Group One opportunities at seven furlongs. Um, but of course, she um, uh, she won the Oak Tree Stakes, um, dropping down to Group Three level after the, after a bit of a disappointing effort in the Falmouth. Uh, which was second in the previous year, beaten less than a length both times, in fairness. Uh, and the city of York tends to be the strongest seven furlong race um, of the summer in the UK. So she was she was um, not at all disgraced in finishing second to Safe Voyage, given I've already made it clear that I think Safe Voyage is, is still a massively underrated horse. Um, she was beaten three and a half lengths there, and that's obviously not not the very best of her form, um, given that the ground did sort of suit her. But she wasn't particularly well positioned. The way the way York was riding was very hard to make ground from off the pace at York um, through the week, and uh, uh, I wouldn't judge her too harshly on that. But then again, breathtaking look was a course and distance winner in the Scepter Stakes last year. She was right back to her best when um, when winning the the Prix de Moultrie at Deauville last time out. Um, you can make a, a strong case for for um, Urban Icon on his, his penultimate run. Didn't handle really soft ground at Goodwood last time. It shines so bright as a horse who wants this ground and hinted at a return to his best when when third in the in the Hackwood last time. I'd he'll appreciate um, seven furlongs on quickish ground. Lumato seven furlongs top of the ground. Thank you very much. Um, he's about the best horse in the race historically. Uh, won this race a whole five years ago, but looked as good as ever. Um, when winning uh, on his reappearance at, uh, at Newmarket. It's a terrific race. It's an absolutely tremendous race, but I'm really struggling to find a bet in that. So if I push you, is it is Lamato the horse that you would settle on? No, I wouldn't settle on anything. You don't have to push me off a cliff. I, I, I'd, need to see, I'd need to see strong prices before I took a view. I could be tempted to back four different horses in this race if the price was right. But it's, it's one of those races that because I can see an angle for backing several. You've also got the issue of, of um, whether there's going to be a, a track bias at Doncaster. There was definitely a bias on the opening day towards horses drawn high. Uh, look at the Scepter Stakes, the best example were, where the first three home um, didn't really, I mean, the winner didn't deserve to win in form. She'd had 12 runs enlisted or group company in her life without winning. And then all of a sudden she, she you know, she wins a, a group three as a five-year-old. Um, she just was in exactly the right position the way the race panned out and obviously got a perfect ride from Frankie de Tori as well um, but it shows you that it doesn't it isn't enough to be the best horse in a race on the straight track at Doncaster if you're in the wrong part of the track this is a slightly smaller field only eight runners uh, one master is drawn closest to the, the stand side reel but we don't know 
we've seen often enough apparent biases disappear um, at a, a meeting that goes on for four days. So whether that's still the case or not at the weekend, I don't know. But it just makes it difficult to, to bet with confidence. So I may leave this race alone. I may um, keep a very close eye and see whether I think there is um, th- there is a bias in the track. Um, I'll keep a very close eye on the going um, and particularly the um, the prices that the firms come up with in the in the first instance, um, because something's going to be something's got to give in terms of the betting. You can't make them all favourite, can you? Um, and you can you can make a case from Rees Diamond, who I haven't even mentioned. Uh, let's not there's, go there's crazy virtually, now. There's virtually nothing in the race you can't make a case for. Is the bottom line some sort of case? But Rees Diamond could get an easy lead, you see, unlikely with breathtaking look and, and shines a bright in there. And Wichita. But, um, yeah, I think I, I think which is less likely to lead than the one or the other. But Marie's Diamond is going to go forward, and um, listen, it's just a nightmare of a race. I mean, as in, really want to watch this, but uh, I like to I like to think I know how a race is going to be run first before I bet on that as well. And I'm not entirely sure this could be a complete burn up, in which case you're looking for somebody to come from from off the pace that would suit one master down to the ground. Then again, when it looks like you've got three or four front runners in a race, okay, 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 okay. Here's the thing: so we could go right in circles. When Rory, when Rory isn't putting something up against me, now he is sounding a real note of caution here, but I'm tempted to just lean back in the final front podcast studio chair, put my feet up. Bear with me a minute. Yes, someone at my door. Oh, for goodness' sakes! This better be somebody important. Maybe it's somebody coming with bag loads of gravy, potentially. But I'm inclined to just put my feet up, grab a coffee, and watch Wichita go and win. It's going to be a cracking race, though. Uh, Lamato, his proper old servant, one master. Just watch Wichita. Go and get it done. By the way, if you haven't entered our competition yet on Monday, and thank you for the kind words about the John Dance podcast and the interview. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, so many direct messages. I've done my best to reply to everybody, but um, very kind of you. And I really appreciate the kind words. That's really, really good of you. But on that show, we ask a question reasonably early on, and we're giving away four. Are we going to five? No, we're not. Four final Furlong podcast mugs. It started with two, then went to three, and then we opted to four. We stick him at four? Four. Okay. So there's four personalized Final Furlong Podcast mugs to be won. We'll announce the four winners on Monday. Tweet us the answer to the question using the hashtag FFP Mug Club. I'm not asking the question again. We ask it reasonably early on a Monday show with Chris Cook, Caroline Murta, and John Dance. Uh, it was a cracking show. I really enjoyed recording it. And um, answer that question and tweet us at Final Front Pod using the hashtag FFP Mug Club. And it could be you who wins a personalized Final Furlong Podcast mug and joins the FFP Mug Club. We'll find out who wins on Monday when Declan Ricks and Jess Stafford will join me to look back on an incredible weekend's racing. Was it somebody giving you money, Rory? Sadly not. No, no. It wasn't the gravy delivery. <laughs> Uh, some man comes to look at the septic tank. Oh, for God's sakes. Right, moving along. <laughs> Let's get some gravy in the Portland Handicap. I, have a, I honestly haven't spoken to Rory about this, but I have a f- sneaky feeling that Rory's going to have a strong fancy in this. Uh, the 225, 
Live on Sky Sports Racing, the Portland Handicap, 6.5, Soldier's Minute. A Moment of Madness, 8.0. 9.0. 11.0. Konicek, 13.0. Rory, blow my mind. Give us a strong fancy for the Portland. Um, this the, the Portland is, is always a decent... Um, uh, a decent race for a punt because um, Doncaster is a bit of a specialist track I find um, even though it should be fairly straightforward it's a big galloping uh, flat track um, and therefore it should confer no advantage uh, to win anything at all um, but horses tend to either like it or don't like it and it's deceptively stiff as well and the other aspect of the race, of course, is at five and a half furlongs, which is a very unusual trip. Um, and you tend, to, horses tend to be caught between two stools. I'll, I'll throw in the, the blindingly obvious horse in this race um, to give you an example of, of why it's like, uh, why this race tends to throw up uh, multiple winners. And that's a moment of madness. Um, a moment of madness, two, three years ago, he was very unlucky not to be placed in the race. He was running on into the frame when he got squeezed out um, in the dying strides. The following year, he won the race. And then last year, he finished second in the race. And he comes into the race this year, uh, despite the fact that he always runs a massive race in the, in, in the, uh, the Portland every year, uh, he doesn't always show that form elsewhere. Um, so he, um, he won the race off a mark of, of 99 in 2018. Um, he went up to 104 on the back of that, struggled to win, came back to the Portland last year off a four-pound lower mark, having gone up five pounds for it initially, and was beaten half a length into second off 95. If we go back to 2017, um, he was um, he was sixth of 22, but would have finished fourth uh, with a clear run off 95 again. And again, this year, his form has dipped a little bit, but as he did um, at York last year, he showed improved form, he showed his best form of the season when, when placed at Goodwood last time out um, off a mark of 93. And here he is, he gets back into the um, into the big race of 91. Now, given that he's either, he's been on the premises in this race for the last three seasons with a first and a second, off higher marks every time. And yet the impression he gave last time out was that he was as good as ever, essentially. Um, so he's going to go forward. Um, he's going to he's going to give us running again, and I can see him being a bit of a gamble in the race. I think he's the best weighted horse in the in the contest. Uh, the question I suppose you have is whether you can get the price. I, I, I think he's. I'd be very surprised if he starts bigger than five to one in the day. Well, we can get uh, eight point oh now. We can get seven to yeah, one. Yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. In fairness, you know, I couldn't justify him being an awful lot shorter than than you know four or five to one. Um, but I think that's the way he's going to go. Uh, this is such a competitive race that you don't want to be backing in at silly prices, especially my big worry with the race, with 22 runners, is that if if we continue to see an apparent bias towards high numbers on the straight course, they're all, want to go on a, they're all going to want to come across. And if the field converges, then it's going to be difficult for horses who are held up to get a run. You know, a horse is going to be a hostage to fortune much more than they would be. And... Um, uh, that's you know that makes it difficult to back horses at short odds. You really want to be back in something that you think is going to get the run of things. I hope that we I, I hope that the bias that we've seen early on um, isn't obvious in the next couple of days. 
so that they spread out across the track here. That's the way I want to see the race run. It means that those who are held up um, will be able to get a run through the field. The pace tends to collapse a little bit at Doncaster in the final half or not. Uh, as I said, you know, it's, it's a long straight. It's sort of foreshortened from where you're, where you're looking at it if you're riding. And horses tend to go for home a little earlier than they might. So the, the last 50 yards or so uh, is when the front runners are gasping for air. And the horses who are frequently frustrating and, and always running on at the end of races without winning uh, tend to have their chance of going through with it. And the obvious horse uh, to take advantage of that scenario is a horse called Arecibo, who has been a hugely frustrating horse to follow um, since joining David Amara. Got tons of ability, keeps running well in, in, in high-class handicaps, um, but he always ends up doing his running too late. I napped him last time out um, at Sandown on the basis that he was running in a, in a nine-runner race in which seven of them were front runners. I thought, perfect, finally he's going to get a race run to suit. They're going to go off at a million miles an hour um, and they'll hit the hill at Sandown and they'll all be paddling and he'll run on three horses and, and pick it up at the last tries. And of course, there were four non-runners and there was nothing nothing to make the pace in the end at all. So he didn't get things to run to see. He's been quite a long way in, in second in the end, um, which is, you know, that was a disappointing run given what he'd done before, but he's a horse who just, he thrives on... Um, big field scenarios and getting himself in a bit of trouble and keeping on late in the day. Uh, and that he's not normally a horse that I would, um, that I would recommend uh, backing in a, in a race like this. But, um, uh, you know, his, his previous run was over this similar trip, five, five and a half furlongs at York, not quite as stiff as this. Um, and he did, again, caught the eye, doing late work to finish fourth. Now, his last two starts, he's gone without headgear. Um, but normally um, he wears a visor. He wore a visor for his first um, seven starts this season. Uh, no headgear his last two. Kind of gives the impression that David Amara wants to, he doesn't want to lose the effect of headgear and then put it back on. He's actually putting cheek pieces on him for this race. Um, and if you go back to last season, when again, you know, he was, he was largely disappointed. He won a little egg and spoon race. Um, a, a handicap at air, class three handicap, early in the season, and then he ran. You know, he hit the frame five times subsequently, um, including in listed company and including in this race when he was beaten less than a length into fourth. Um, again, similar kind of scenario. Uh, he travelled really strongly. Um, he looked like he was going to play a major hand in the finish, and he ended up being placed rather than winning. And I think he's always going to be that kind of horse. Um, but the interesting thing about him is he's gone through this season looking as good as ever but slipping in the weights as he, as he gets beaten um, and he comes into this having been rated 100 when he ran in the race last year and was beaten less than a length he's now rated 93 having dropped again for finishing second at Sandown last time out um, he's drawn install 14 which however this pans out is a good draw because there's an awful lot of pace around him um, in terms of horses going forward um, he's got um, just on his left he's got the likes of A Moment of Madness Just Another Bottle and Miras um, he should all be handy he's got Yimu right beside him who goes forward he's got ornate two stalls away from him towards the sand side he goes forward so he's going to have a phalanx of horses if you'd excuse the terminology to take him into the race the question is then whether you can trust the bugger to put his head in front um, when push comes to shove but he is going to get the, the perfect setup 
uh, in this race. Um, and the, I think he's a pretty safe each way bet. With the headgear back on again, I think um, he will he will struggle not to get in the frame. He's too good not to be placed. I can see him getting close to the front and then finding a way of somehow finishing third when he looks sure to win. But either way, you've got a, you, you're going to have extra places here with 22 runners. Um, and you're going to have the possibility of, of um, having a, a back to lay, if you like, on the exchange. Um, I think he's going to trade shorter than his, his pre-race price. Um, and I think he is going to hit the frame. And the question is, which one's going to give you better value? I suspect you're probably going to get better value with the, with the place terms in this race. Um, so uh, it's a tough contest. But the, the more I look at it, the, the more I think he's liable to, to hit the frame at least. Uh, and then it's just a case of whether you trust him enough to, to go and win it because, you know, he does have a, a lot of seconds and thirds on his card. And for a horse of, uh, you know, he was rated 100 last season, um, to have it, one win from his last 30 odd starts is disappointing. Um, but his form is not going the wrong way. Uh, it's just his win record that's not that's not improving. So um, I think he will. I think he'd be pre- he'd be placed again. I think a moment of madness is the likeliest winner in the race. But I do think you're going to end up with a pretty short price about him unless you, you know, unless you, you nick the best prices at the moment. Um, all the wise guys will want to be with a moment of madness, and I can completely understand that. Um, but Arecibo, as I said, you know, has has a tremendous setup to run a good race, um, and I think he will go close. Wentworth Falls is another one who's drawn in the middle there. He's drawn a sole eleven, uh, who goes well, goes very well at Doncaster, who should be there and thereabouts. And if you want to start compiling your your shortlist of horses for your TriCast, I threw him in there as well. I was just going to say, do we have something for that? So we've got the, the TriCast and, of course, the Exacta on Arecibo and the Moment of Madness. Um, I'll come back to you about strength of Arecibo later on. Anything else, any other business for Doncaster? Uh, no, we've covered, I'm not interested in the nursery at this stage. Uh, I'll tell you, the, one very, very good approach to Doncaster every year, it's just back, back Andrea Atzani in the last, in the last few races of the meeting. The Andrea so Atzani. Tremendous record, of, tremendous record. And it, I, um, he popped up for me on my nap yesterday with a superb right away. He rides Doncaster better than he rides any other track. He does. And I think he's a top-class jockey anyway, Andrea. But he absolutely loves Doncaster. It suits him down to the ground. Um, and he, as I said, it's a, it's a deceptive course, Doncaster, because everyone thinks of it as a big flat track. But it does it does climb in a way that you, you, you is almost imperceptible. Um, and it means that you have to make a challenge at a slightly different time. It suits those who've got balls of steel to challenge late, uh, which he really does. And he's got a tremendous record in handicaps on the track. So if you're struggling for a winner, just look for those yellow colours with the black spots and Andrea saying he's riding uh, Legend of Dubai uh, in the nursery. Nurseries are always tough because all the horses are improving at different rates and it's difficult to be adamant about the level of form. But that one um, should keep improving and will run a fairly good race. Um, and I'm sure he had something interesting in the uh, oh, the last is cut up quite badly now um, he rides Toronto for James Gibbon in the last uh, yeah you could do an, old, an awful lot worse than you know if you if you haven't got time to look through the form look for the, the name at, at Zaney on the card and uh, back what he rides because you're going to get a run for your money as a rule Andrew Zaney the get out stakes on Sky Sports Racing on Saturday so um, quick word about France so in this bizarre Rona year we, uh, we have the Grand Prix de Paris thrown in with the ARC trials. So no pre-Neil 
this time around, which is traditionally a, a great arc trial. Uh, the Grand Prix de Paris will feature Serpentine. It may well feature English King. He's still in there. Uh, the best middle distance three-year-old in Europe. <sighs> right. Anyway, uh, Mogul 5.0 uh, is bidding to... Oh, I'm, so, I'm so keen to, to tip English King up on this race now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mogul, who Aidan O'Brien said, is making a fool of them all at home and on the track. Maybe... Maybe it'll be a case of uh, Mogul will follow in his brother's footsteps and win the Grand Prix de Paris, and his brother will have won the Irish Champion Stakes the day before in Japan. Who knows? Uh, we've also got, on Tuesday, there's the Prix de Royale, uh, which will also be live on Sky Sports Racing, but the Grand Prix de Paris, the Prix Foy, where Stradivarius will run. Uh, Frankie Dettori will be on board, so he has to go into quarantine afterwards. Uh, the Prix Vermeil has Rabia, who's a big fancy for the arc already. Uh, of these races, Rory, what stands out to you? And is anything particularly interesting to you in the Grand Prix de Paris? Uh, they're, they're all very interesting in terms of the future. I'm, not, I'm, I'm never keen to, be, to put bets up on these races because every time we talk about it, we don't have declarations. We don't have a, 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 a very good idea of the going. Um, and there's an awful lot of guesswork involved. Um, but clearly with, um, with Arc Weekend coming up very soon, they'll, they'll all be um, uh, opportunities of, of, of getting a real handle, particularly on the three-year-old crop. Um, yeah, we don't know what, we, we don't, no one really knows how to take Serpentine. Um, the Derby as a whole was, was not a great race, um, but Serpentine was dominant. And uh, as has been said before, uh, a lot of the early conclusions that people made from that before the race was over in that, oh, they've all been idiots to go such a crawl and allow this horse to dominate when it was, you know, when once you saw the this, this sectionals afterwards, um, who'd have thought they were going at least as fast in the Derby as they were in the Oaks? Mm. Everyone assumed they were going much, much faster in the Oaks just looking at it visually. And that's, so again, it just shows you how you can be fooled by uh, a visual image Horses over racing and horses going too fast, um, or horses going fast rather than too fast, uh, are, are different things. When you see horses over clearly over racing and get, getting too keen, you know that they are going too fast in inverted commas for their own good. Um, but essentially, they're doing too much racing. It, it's not actually an absolute um, guide to what speed they're going. You know, we, we all of us have watched racing for a long time, and you watch racing for a long time, you can see when horses in, the, in, in front are relaxing and doing things right and you can see when they're not relaxed and they're doing things wrong and you know that the horse that's not relaxed is not going to see the race out. Unfortunately, the way we tend to interpret that is saying they're going too fast and that's not strictly true. They're not going to keep that whatever gallop they're, they're, um, they're going up um, but that's not simply a function of their speed, it's a function of how much energy they are expending um, and speed is only a part of that uh, and that's why, you know, a lot of analysis was done off the Oaks and the Derby immediately afterwards suggesting the pace they went at the Oaks was crazy and the pace they went at the Derby was crazy slow and it turned out they were going to the same pace. Yep. Um, so it just shows you that you can't, you can't always trust your eyes or at least you can trust aspects of what you see but you need to interpret them in a slightly different way to get the truth. Um, Serpentine could be very, very good indeed to do what he did. In saying that, you know, we're always marking horses up for winning races because of what they might have had in hand. You do get the impression in the derby that whatever Serpentine did, he was doing it absolutely, um, 
evenly. You know, he was he was giving himself absolutely every chance. He was doing everything right at every stage, um, whereas others in behind were compromising their chances by the way they were racing. And he also was doing it on his own. He didn't have the pressure of having other horses after the first couple of furlongs pressing him. And that, of course, can change the way you race. Um, so whether he can do it again, I don't know. He deserves full credit for how he did it on the day. It was a very good performance, um, but it was kind of like a speed trial the way he ran his race. So whether he's able to do that um, in a different style, uh, potentially with other horses um, bothering him in a different scenario, going the other way around, is up for debate. But I, I, it's, it's not a given that he won't reproduce the form at all. Um, and I'd, partic- I'd like to see him do it again, to be honest, not to prove himself, but just to, you know, just to demonstrate that the Derby form is, is worthwhile. Um, so, you know, it, it would be enjoyable for me to see him win it. Um, but I don't, I, it's very, very hard to make a judgment on that, um, other than to say what was right and what was wrong about the, uh, the Derby analysis. Um, it doesn't always give us easy answers to the future. I wouldn't be overly surprised if he was beaten here, but proved to be much better later in the season because Aidan O'Brien w- was saying that he he essentially they had to go light on him. It, the derby took an awful lot out of him. Yeah, and that's a that's a worry as well. So it's a worry in the short term in terms of how you get back on track after a race like this. Mm. It's also a worry long term in that when when horses who go to the derby very early in their careers, and he was a week on from a maiden win. Yeah literally a week on from a maiden win you know even if he was the best three-year-old in in europe on that performance is running that kind of race at that stage of his career beneficial to his future or is it going to actually ruin him as a racehorse down the line um and i, I don't think you do it with many other races no um, it's the only race you do because the derby, the derby is so important you would you would risk the fact that this may not help his future, but if you you know if you could turn him into a Derby winner, then that's prize enough on its own. Mm. So I think you're right. I think he could be absolutely full value for the Derby. He could have been the best horse in the Derby by by a mile. I think he was. But it may not. Yeah, but it may he may not be the same horse afterwards. Slip Anchor wasn't the same horse after he won his Derby. Yeah. It's a good uh, point. Although he picked he, he picked up a minor injury afterwards, but you know, doing that you can you can be an absolute monster on the day, um, but it can leave a massive mark as well. So we'll see. I just proceed with caution with him. I'm fascinated to see what he can do. I'm also very interested that there were several options for Nobel Prize and this is the race he goes for, Highland Reel's brother. And perhaps he'll be the one who bowls along in front. Although you'd imagine that's what they'll do with Serpentine. But I got the impression that this was very much a case of they just want to get him back and get him racing. But I don't think it's the be-all and end-all to win the Grand Prix de Paris with him. Whereas in the past, it has been. It very much was the case that they wanted to win this race with Scorpion. They very much wanted to win it last year with with Japan. I think they'll happily just take him back. It came at a different time of the year as well. Normally, it's it's normally run on... on, um, uh, What do you call it? July? It was run in the middle of July. One on, one on, on the fourteenth of July. Bastille Day. Bastille yeah. Day is what I'm what I'm thinking of. Because uh, I keep thinking my birthday, um, but it's not quite. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not it's normally Bastille Day, um, but obviously it comes a lot later. So it, so it, it, it it's both the Grand Prix de Paris and it's the Premier as well. In one, yeah. you know, it's, it it fills the spot that the the Neil used to have. It's got pretty much the same conditions. Um, so you can see why why. Um, you might approach it slightly differently than you normally would. And again, you don't have to have a strong betting view in every race. This is definitely, um, this is a race need, to sit back and watch. Yeah, and again, you know, you've got to inform yourself as to the future as well. Mm. Um, and those races are going to be really informative. Uh, and again, you know, moguls, 
you do get the impression not many horses make complete fools of Aidan O'Brien and thus far Mogul has but again the, the, you know the way he talks about him that everything is so easy for him at home that um, it's difficult to, to get him absolutely hard fit I think sometimes there you get those horses who are just very 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 good work horses um, and because it's so easy for them they they don't want to exert themselves on a race course um, you hear about them all the time you know they don't it's not just a case that they can't reproduce the form um, they do stuff easily at home and they're used to not having to um, push themselves hard in their work and they get to a race course where they have to push themselves hard and they go what the hell don't is fancy this that at all, yeah. don't fancy that um, and they won't do it so um, whether he's one of those I don't know he's going to be fascinating I wouldn't give up on him at all I wouldn't and look I know I know it's like now, would you keep backing them you it's, know? it's, it's all, cliff it's, horse it's material it's saying don't give up on horse X but what are you, are you saying don't give up on this horse means keep backing this horse no no and sometimes keep backing this horse means <laughs> it's just madness fall over the cliff uh, here's yeah. what I do I would I would have a bet on this race and I would back Nobel Prize I don't see no again. You know, he was a horse I put up as one one, one to follow for the season. Yeah. He'd, he'd won a, a minor race last year, and I thought he's, I thought he would develop. I thought he'd, he'd turn into a, you know a high class handicapper mid season, and then maybe get a bit of black type later on. But he was thrown into group company very quickly. Um, so you know, I'd love to see him develop. Um, he's he's very, he's very like his siblings, uh, remarkably. So you could almost, you know, if you had to if you had to pick him out of a lineup, you probably would. Um, in terms of, of um, his um, uh, his high class siblings, so you know it'd be nice to see him go the same way on the track as well. But it doesn't make it a race that I want to bet in. Mm. I'll have a I'll have a small few quid on Nobel Prize, and I'll do the exacta with Mogul, and I'll do the trifecta with Serpentine. You seem to be having a lot of bets in this Nobel race. And throw money away. Throw it away. I'll be like Leonardo DiCaprio on the Wolf of Wall Street on the boat. Just fun coupons. Look at these fun coupons. Just throw them everywhere. Uh, Proceed with caution. Look, it's a race to watch. I'll I'll be doing very, very small bets in multiples with uh, Nobel Prize uh, Serpentine. And uh, a mogul, and then English King comes along and makes a complete and total fool of me. So we'll, we'll see that race. It'll be interesting. It's live on Sky Sports Racing, two fifty, and uh, don't miss it. In terms of bets for the weekend, Rory, what is your best bet for the weekend? Well, I'm going to make my best bet. Um, Galileo Chrome, the beautifully named Galileo Chrome. Ooh. I'm not sure if he's by Galileo or California <laughs> Chrome, but it must be one of those two. Uh, I, I really like him. Um, it, probably the only the only race we talked about where, where I, I wasn't um, largely in agreement with Jane, to be honest. Um, but I, I like his progress. I like where he's coming to as a horse um, uh, for this race. And I like the fact that I've got question marks against Class C horses at the top of the market who I'm not sure about stamina-wise. Um, whereas, I'm, I've been, even though he's not proven, I would be absolutely stunned if he didn't improve for this trip. And on that basis, I think he's a, um, I think he's a really decent bet. Galileo Chrome is the nap of the weekend for Rory DeLarge. I'll put up a patent. Sure, why not? I'm taking Rory on. Santiago, Fancy Blue, Wichita. See you all in Dubai. Won't pay that much, but it'll pay enough uh, to keep us busy. That's it. 
That is our look at the weekend's racing and what a fantastic weekend it is. You can see the uh, St. Ledger meeting at Doncaster and Arc Trials weekend, including the Grand Prix de Paris, all live on Sky Sports Racing. Jay Mangan is on RTE uh, for Irish Champions weekend as well. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and we will chat to you again on Monday with Declan Ricks and Jess Stafford as we review all the action and get winners for your At The Races tracker as well. We'll also announce the winners of our final Fulham podcast mug club competition as well. Uh, tweet the answer to the question we asked on Monday to add final Fulham pod using the hashtag FFP mug club. From Roy DeLarge. Goodbye and good luck. Jane Mangan and myself, Emma Kennedy, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll chat to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. God bless. Will it happen or won't it happen? You can bet on it with the Betfair Exchange, proud sponsors of the Final Furlong podcast. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.